Joe Cracon. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of Get Your Creek On, a podcast about Jonathan Creek. Thanks for joining me today for Series 3, Episode 2, The Eyes of Tiresias. When I say Series 3, Episode 2, I mean the second episode of the third series of the TV show. This is in fact Episode 3 of Series 3 of The Pod, because I counted Black Canary, the Christmas special, as Episode 1 of Series 3 of the pod, not the TV show. All clear? As I state here on at least a semi-regular basis, watching the episode before listening to this edition of the podcast will be advantageous. You'll get the references and be able to visualise what's being discussed, rather than sitting there wondering what the bejesus is going on. If you haven't watched any Jonathan Creek before, then presumably everyone in your life must be pretty much at their wits end with you because you've no taste and nothing interesting to talk about. As the old saying goes, no creek, you freak. The Eyes of Tiresias aired on December 4th, 1999. I'm just lining up the Australian man to introduce the next bit. He's on the line. Yep, after three, yeah. No, I'll, I'll count back from three, so after one, yeah. Ready? Three. Two, one. Episode Synopsis Revelers dance to Brian Ferry at a fundraising party to mark the summer appeal of the Friends of Unicef. I think it said Unicef, but the end of the sign was out of view. Maddie and Jonathan struggle to get served at the busy bar, and she heads off to get them plates of chilli con carne. At the salad table, she gets chatting to a tall, handsome stranger, as Jonathan looks on slightly jealously, and then a lady spills her drink all over him. She apologises and gives him her business card, promising to pay for it. She's a filming location manager, but before they can get chatting, the main act of the evening appears on the stage. He's a crap magician called Otto Danziger, who amazingly and incredibly manages to guess the lottery numbers seconds before they're drawn on a supposedly live TV. Maddie heads back to the bar and gets chatting to Jonathan and his new friend, Heidi. She tells Heidi all about Jonathan, including mention of his windmill dwelling. He explains how the lottery numbers trick was probably done, but she seems more interested in the details of the building in which he's domiciled. A few moments later, they've arranged a date for 7 o'clock the next day. As the music continues booming, Maddie appears to hit the sesh pretty hard and is soon as pissed as a fart and in due course is locking lips with the bloke from the salad table. After going to the bathroom, she initially struggles to find him again on the dance floor, but within moments they're slow dancing. In the taxi home, she drunkenly arranges to make dinner for him the next evening. Somewhere else in a ramshackle old cottage, An old lady who we briefly saw earlier cleaning her fishbowl out is perturbed to hear someone come in her front door in the middle of the night. It's not a brutal murderer though, it's Heidi, her niece, who is staying for the night and is home from the soiree. This old auntie, Audrey, tells Heidi about a bizarre nightmare she had in which a French-sounding man was being killed in a locked room, pleading for his life and saying the phrase, oh dear, over and over again. The next morning, a French-sounding man is eating his breakfast at his country mansion. His wife answers the phone to a bloke called Craig Downey, who appears to be some kind of client of her husband's. 
Evidently, she and Downey are having some kind of clandestine affair, although the conversation quickly turns to how Downey is going to be late for the meeting with the French guy that morning. The Frenchman, André Masson, who is in fact Swiss and not French, isn't having it at all and curtly demands that Downey must arrive on time, as scheduled. At the windmill, Jonathan gets up after his late night and, hearing banging and clattering going on outside, opens the door completely in the buff to find a huge film crew outside. It turns out that the date he arranged with Heidi was in fact an appointment to use the windmill for filming at 7am rather than 7pm. Shortly afterwards, he speaks to Maddie on the phone, who has to cut the conversation short to answer the door to the Lothario from the previous evening. They confirm their plans for dinner that night, which will see Maddie preparing lobster. At the country mansion, Downey has arrived and is waiting outside André Masson's office with several associates. Downey's talking to Masson's wife when they hear a commotion from inside the office. Someone smashed the window and has gone inside, locked the door and is threatening to kill Masson, who utters, Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, before there's a gunshot. When Craig Downey and Mrs Masson run round the side of the house to look in the window, Masson is lying dead, a gunshot through his head. At the windmill, Maddie has turned up and a discussion with Jonathan takes place about how boring a film set actually is. While there, she takes a call from her new beau, who again confirms the details for dinner later, which seems a bit odd given he turned up at her house to do so not that long ago. At old Auntie Audrey's house, a news report comes on about the death of André Masson, and his wife tells the media about how he said, Oh dear, three times before being shot. Audrey's horrified at the fact she dreamt every single detail the night before, and phones Heidi, who in turn tells Maddie and Jonathan about this seeming premonition her aunt has had. Back at home, Audrey tells Heidi that she's had another dream while napping that afternoon, and has written down all the details. Another death, a creature with wings, and the initials RP. It was all a bit more abstract, this one, but she's worried about what it might all mean. At Maddie's, her date has arrived, but is having issues operating the lavatory. As she serves up the dinner, the doorbell rings and she answers it. It turns out it's a near-identical guy to the one who's there already. She hadn't realised that she'd got off with two different fellas last night, which is the kind of thing that could happen when you're on the lash too hard, I guess. Maybe. Next, we see footage of a woman driving down a country lane in her Jaguar. Her lack of concentration leads to a horrendous incident involving a tractor in which she crashes and dies. And then we see her number plates, which features the letters RP. Maddie and Jonathan are at Audrey's house later with Heidi to talk through the Masson premonition. He looks through the bookcases crammed with Greek mythology and notices that Audrey buys some stuff from the local market. Audrey then takes a phone call and is told about the death by car crash of local woman Rebecca Phillips. Her second dream has come horribly true as well. Maddie says that Audrey mustn't get too upset, but it's too late for that. She's already in a state because she's had a third dream that apparently ends with she herself being killed. A man with one eye coming up the stairs with a sword, ending up with blood everywhere. There is a joke in there and I am not going to tell it. In the car driving away, Maddie and Jonathan discuss all these coincidences. They head to Masson's mansion where the police are still combing the place. They found one of Downey's contact lenses next to Masson's body, and also non-password protected diary entries on Masson's computer, 
in which he claimed that he knew of Downey's affair with his wife and that Downey had threatened to kill him. Maddie goes to find out more about the dead Rebecca Phillips and while Audrey is out of her house, we see some ominous footage of someone breaking in and having a route around the place. Maddie then tries to eavesdrop at Craig Downey's office where he's being interviewed by the police. However, she ends up being kicked out and into a skip via a builder's chute by the security guard. Before this happened though, she did manage to hear Downey telling the police that he had recently been burgled. At the windmill, Maddie and Jonathan go over all the various evidence and information. As usual, Jonathan doesn't just tell Maddie straight up what he's discovered, but starts instead talking about the devious mind of Andre Masson. When Maddie happens to mention Audrey's goldfish bowl, it triggers the final piece of the jigsaw to fall into Jonathan's mind, and he announces that they need to head straight over there. Audrey has already gone to bed terrified that night, worrying about whether the dream that she had will bring her demise, and we see it all playing out. She's hidden in her cupboard and gets stabbed to death by a one-eyed man. It was just a dream though, and she's awoken by Jonathan and Maddie at the door. Jonathan goes through the somewhat unlikely story of what he believes has been going on. His denouement begins with some pontification about dreams and Greek mythology. He's concluded that the details of Masson's murder must have somehow been predetermined and somehow also found their way into Audrey's dream. Masson, it turns out, was about to be arrested for fraud, so he decided to top himself, and he decided to make it look like it was a murder committed by the man having an affair with his wife. He rigged up an audio recording of the murder taking place, replicating the signs of a window being smashed, a struggle taking place, and the fatal shot being fired. Having recorded this onto a CD which he plants in Downey's flat, he also steals a contact lens to plant at the scene as evidence. When several witnesses, including Downey himself, were outside the office, Masson replicated the sounds he'd recorded earlier and then shot himself for real. Downey has to be in the clear, no? Loads of witnesses saw him not doing it. The plan, though, apparently, was for the police to find the contact lens and then the diary entries, and then do a search of Downey's flat for more evidence, locating the CD in the process, and then realising that he'd carried out a very clever time-shift murder. He shot Masson earlier, recording the whole thing, and then played the recording over the computer when everyone was outside to give himself the alibi of being outside the office as well at the time of the shooting. Heidi rightly points out that this is crazily unlikely, and Jonathan says that yes, that's the point, because no jury would believe it was all a setup. However, a hitch occurred. Downey's flat was burgled, and the CD was stolen along with all his others. It turns out Audrey then bought the Frank Sinatra CD at the market that actually contained the disc with the recording on it. She put it into her multi-disc CD player, and by the time it came on she'd fallen asleep, and when it played, Masson's recording wormed its way into her memory. It was Jonathan who broke in earlier and checked all of her CDs looking for the recording, but he couldn't find it. He later realised the one place he had not looked was under the goldfish bowl. That's where the CD was, and he plays it now, so they can all hear Masson's recording. We finish back at the windmill, where Jonathan has somehow landed himself the plum gig of body double for the film's male star, and he gets repeatedly to film a scene kissing the attractive leading lady. Meanwhile, Maddie takes a call from the two guys whom we last saw at her flat. 
It turns out they've become pals and come up with the idea of the pair of them sharing her body on a rota basis. She doesn't turn the idea down out of hand, and Jonathan subtly notes just how predictable she is. Episode Analysis Well, after the shit show that was the curious tale of Mr. Spearfish last time out, the Eyes of Tiresias was certainly a good deal more pleasing an episode. No Adam Klaus in this one, and I think I'm right in saying he's only present in three of the six this series. Not sure what the reasoning was there, it may have been budget or schedule related, but the upshot is that the main secondary story in this episode is focused on Maddie instead, and her failure to realise she'd actually copped off with two completely different men in the space of five minutes, erroneously believing that they were the same guy. When you see the two of them in the light of day, there is only a passing resemblance at best really, but on the night they first canoodled it was perhaps in the midst of some fairly heavy boozing on Maddie's part, so it's perhaps just about believable. The way it all played out was pretty enjoyable, I thought. Most people would have practically curled up and died with excruciating embarrassment the moment the second guy arrived at her house, but she appeared to take it all on the chin, uh, as it were, and no harm was seemingly done. The two blokes were played by Paul Blackthorne and Damien Goodwin, Auntie Audrey by Marjorie Mason, Heidi by the very well-known Rebecca Front, Craig Downey by James Gaddas, and Andre Masson by Terence Hardiman, best known to those of a certain age as the Demon Headmaster. There was a lot of fun to be had around the storyline regarding the filming taking place at Jonathan's windmill with his misinterpretation of the 7am appointment and invitation from Heidi to bring herself there and hump their gear around. If you look at the episode's page on IMDB, you'll see that someone has taken the time to write a detailed entry in the Goofs section, outlining how film location management is a drawn-out process involving procedures and legal forms and various meetings, so a full crew turning up at such short notice is just not realistic. Uh, no shit, mate, it's called comedy, just give it a rest. What did make me chuckle was the line underneath the entry that reads, 3 out of 10 people found this interesting. It's fair to say that plot holes can be found when assessing the solution to the main mystery. The idea that the police would even consider raking through a suspect's entire CD collection, let alone actually go ahead and then do it, seems wildly improbable. Why Craig Downey would have kept the CD at all is the main question there, I think. And how on earth would someone, even of Jonathan's problem-solving capabilities, realise it? Of all the episodes thus far, this is probably the biggest leap that he has made, and it just didn't really come across as believable. I also seriously doubt the sound recording capabilities of a late 90s PC could have produced such a clear quality recording. It uh, would have sounded very tinny and shit indeed on those speakers. Masson could have just invited Downey into the room and made it sound like he was being attacked and then shot himself. That would have been far more straightforward and incriminating, surely. There's also the question as to how Audrey could have explained her first dream so vividly when she didn't actually have the dream, she only heard the audio while dozing. I considered trying to track down Marjorie Mason to ask her if she can recall what her interpretation was of the character's storyline but it turns out she's been dead for several years, 
And get this, she died in Swiss Cottage, which is part of London. Andre Masson was Swiss. What a coincidence. And his surname was Masson, and hers was Mason. Shit, I should have just used this bit for Creek Connections and killed two birds with one stone. Damn it. The celebration of Location Information Station. Location information is fairly thin on the ground for this episode. Obviously, there were quite a few scenes filmed at the King's Mill in Shipley, but today I am going to ask you to join me on a trip to Buckinghamshire, just northwest of London, where we will find the Hall Barn estate. On that estate is a big old house called Hall Barn, and it was the setting for Andre Masson's swanky country home. It's a Grade 2 listed house built in the late 1600s and is located just off Junction 2 of the M40 motorway at Beaconsfield. It featured in the film Chariots of Fire. The character of Lord Andrew Lindsay can be seen practising his hurdling on the house's lawn, perching glasses of champagne on top of the hurdles to gauge whether or not he touched the top when jumping over them. Interestingly, this house will appear again in a few episodes time and in a much more prominent way actually, for it is the main location used in the series 4 episode The Tailor's Dummy. Aficionados out there will remember it's the one where the old blind fella jumps off the high window ledge to his death. Fingers crossed I'll be able to find some other places to talk about for that episode, otherwise we'll be getting even more tenuous information about Hall Barn. Creek Connections. At 20 minutes 17 seconds as Auntie Audrey is tidying up, we see that she has a copy of National Geographic magazine on her living room table. The first issue of National Geographic came out on September 22nd, 1888 three years to the day before the first hydropower plant ever to be built in Finland was opened on the Tamarkoski Rapids in the city of Tampere. Tampere hosted the 1965 Ice Hockey World Championships which were won by the Soviet Union and at which the average match attendance was 6,392. Lego set 6392 is an airport which includes a plane, helicopter, airport staff and a terminal building on which there is a clock showing the time of 2.57. In the New King James Version of the Bible, Ezra verse 2.57 reads, The sons of Shepatiah, the sons of Hattel, the sons of Pokeret of Zebaim, and the sons of Ami. The word Ami in French means friend, and the Queen song, Friends Will Be Friends, written by John Deacon and Freddie Mercury, was first performed during their live tour show in the Dutch city of Leiden on 11th June 1986, the same day that actor Shia LaBeouf was born. LaBeouf is French for beef. Beef comes from cows and cow in French is la vache. A country estate called The Vache is near Chalfont St Giles in Buckinghamshire, England, a mere 6.1 miles away from another country estate, Hall Barn, the setting for Andre Masson's mansion 
in the eyes of Tiresias. Crepes, crumbs, golly, for the love of God, and as I live and breathe, you could not make it up, and I haven't. Another Creek Connection, next time. Pottery Corner The worst poet ever to grace the planet, William Topaz McGonagall, may have been dead for nearly 120 years now, but that hasn't stopped him from getting hold of today's episode on DVD, and he's created a little ditty to describe what he made of it. Without further ado, here we go with Lines on an Observation of the Eyes of Tiresias. Maddie and Jonathan were at a boozy shindig, and at the queue the bar was huge and massive and big, so off she went to get them some food, while he at the bar gormlessly remained standing stood. A woman called Heidi spilled champagne all over his shirt, and then gave him her number and started to flirt, and when she heard that he lived in a windmill, it led to a date being made about which both seemed thrilled. Meanwhile, Maddie had by now drunk a little excessively, and on the dance floor kissed a man somewhat expressively, and then went to the toilet, perhaps to throw up, then returned and started dancing again with the tall hunk. Meanwhile, Heidi's old aunt had suffered a scary nightmare, and the shit that went on in it she could barely bear. She'd spent the evening indulging in her Greek mythologic proclivities, then told Heidi about the dream when she got home from the festivities. The next day, André Masson was holed away in his office, as his minions awaited, the delay making them seem nauseous, but then from within came sounds of a struggle most violent, and after a shocking gunshot the sounds ended, aka all went silent. Masson had been shot and his assailant disappeared, and the wall with his brains and his blood was smeared. His shocked wife and her lover looked on aghast. It's fair to say, Masson wouldn't be going anywhere fast. At the windmill, Jonathan had woken up in the buff. The film crew who'd arrived couldn't give a chuff. Turns out he'd agreed to let his home be a location, and his thoughts of sex with Heidi turned out to be a misheard aberration. Old Audrey heard how Masson had died while saying Oh Dieu, and the whole thing started giving her the fear. She thought she now had a brain like a crystal ball, so the details of her most recent dream she did on a piece of paper with a pencil scrawl. Maddie's hot date at home involved cooking crustacean, and the hunk turned up and seemed delighted and taken, but there was an issue, a different fellow was already present. She'd accidentally copped off with two different gents. The second dream of Audrey's came true, a woman had died after her car off the road into a tree flew, and by now the elderly spinster was losing her shit, for she had dreamed that night a man would with a sword she open split. Craig Downey was accused of killing Masson, and on to him guilt the cops were trying to fasten, but he denied everything of course because he was outside the room when the Swiss guy was killed by a gun that went boom. As usual, Jonathan figured everything out, and a denouement he soon in front of everyone would spout, which involved a convoluted idea of a time-shift murder, and as he ran through it all, it got more and more absurder. 
It was in fact a suicide by the guy from Geneva, who was in trouble with the law and rather than his cheating wife leave her, he decided to top himself and Craig Downey implicate by planting evidence to seal his fate. We ended with Maddie taking a call from those two blokes, and the suggestion they made she thought must be a hoax. They proposed that they could both sleep with her in a roster-like manner, and into that plan she did not exactly throw a spanner. And thus ended the tale of the future-seeing octogenarian, who predicted the murder of the Swiss business authoritarian. It was wrapped up by Jonathan, who used his strong intuition, and he'll be back next time on another mystery-solving mission. Pottery Corner Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Get Your Creek On. You can get in touch with the show by email, getyourcreekon at gmail.com, or Twitter, it's at creekget. The website is www.getyourcreekon.co.uk. Big thanks today to online Twitter user at Creek Locations. Next up is the third episode of the third series of the TV show, fourth episode of series three of the pod, The Amiga Man. Maddie witnesses the theft of an alien skeleton by the US military, and Jonathan is roped in to help them explain how it escaped from a locked box in the back of a truck. It's actually just about as weird as that description makes it sound. That's us done for now, it's good to be with you once again, and I will speak to you on the next ep, which is shorthand for episode. I'm Toby, bye for now. Thanks for listening to Get Your Creek On. 